Dear Father, we ask for a blessing this afternoon on the word that is opened and meditated out of, dear Father. We need Thee so much. We need the washing of the water of the word. Thy bride needs to be cleansed and made perfect, made holy and pure. We're so thankful for the blood of Jesus who has cleansed us with his blood. And yet we know, dear Father, that there is a process going on of sanctification of each, each one here is being led on a path as they follow thee to become more like thee. Jesus, we ask that thou wouldst help us to do that, to take in the words of life that we need in order to do that. Dear Father, give us uh, grace and strength whereby we may serve thee acceptably with reverence, with godly fear. Dear Father, we're so thankful that we can approach thee as children and we can do this with love, uh, knowing that thy love for us is sure and is open. Dear Father, we pray that many more would come to this knowledge. They would come to know the amazing treasure that is in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I'd like to turn with the Lord's help to continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in the mid, starting in the midsection of the chapter. <clears throat> starting with verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as to, unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I've read to the first verse of chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. May God bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> the last time we meditated on this passage, we ended with that outburst, that passionate outburst, which, which, with which I began to read in verses 11 and 12. 13, almost like Paul finally 
cuts to the chase and, and lays everything on, states it out, straight out. He said, we're speaking openly and frankly to you. Our mouth is open to you. Our heart is enlarged. We, we love you very much. We are not restricting you. You are straightened. This is the old word for restricted in range or in scope. You are straightened, restricted in your own bowels. And that's the old Greek word. The bowels there means your affections. You know, the Greeks thought that, that um, um, and you know, it makes a lot of sense actually. And a lot of times when we have strong emotions, we kind of feel things within our bowels and our, in our stomachs. And, um, and that was their expression for your affections, your bowels. Bowels of mercies, if you remember, that's another passage. Ye are straightened, you're restricted in your own bowels. And you know if you have a restriction or a, a blockage intestinally, that's a serious, serious issue. It's inhibiting your growth. But then Paul seems to just, does he change the topic here in verse 14? Does he just completely switch, a complete non-sequitur? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? No, I don't think it's a disconnect. I don't think he just switched topics. I believe that he is telling them now, frankly, with an open mouth, how they are restricting themselves in their own affections. I believe he's making a connection between their, remember the, the theme, one of the main topics of 2 Corinthians is the Corinthians' uh, issues with Paul, that they're, they're not accepting him as an apostle, the apostle, the, they, the way they, should, they think one should be, you know, either in his credentials or his ability to speak or, or his appearance or whatever it is. They're not accepting him. And I think Paul is making a connection to them with their worldliness, with their, uh, their lack of separation from the world. And I have to think, you know, could that maybe be the case with us sometimes too, that we don't want to receive someone or a message, a particular message, because we are too worldly, too close to the world. James, in one of his strongest passages, says, you know, friendship with the world. You know, oh, I, I don't consider myself a worldly person. I don't do like they do, but friendship with the world, kind of this familiarity with, with, with this, this um, self-rationalization in my mind of the world's ways of doing things, adopting some of their ideas and some of their practices. That friendship is enmity with God. It's, 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 if, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. There's no two ways about it. There's, there's, it's one or it's the other. And he has to lay this out clearly, this 14, 15, 16. He's basically saying the church and the world are incompatible. There is no common intersection between the two spiritually. Obviously, the church, we are in the world. And that's, I think we clearly understand that, that we're not um, living apart, separate somewhere in some monastery. And, and Scripture says that clearly in 1 Corinthians 5, too, that, that we're supposed to, uh, uh, he wrote that we're not supposed to keep company with fornicators, but I didn't mean that you're supposed to go completely, you know, fornicators of this world, because then you'd have to go out of the world. And that's clearly not... Uh, Paul's intention, it's not Jesus' intention in his high priestly prayer. He says, uh, pray not that, I, that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil thereof. So that's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about a separation, an, a, a, a night and day difference 
you know, this is not a, a difficult uh, theological concept. It's not something that's, you know, it's all over Scripture. You know, it starts in the Old Testament, God's holiness versus sin, this clear separation. It continues in the New Testament, the church and the world. This is clearly understood in the Bible. It's clearly t- taught. It's not a theological challenge for us. It's a, a personal moral, spiritual challenge for us, the separation between the church and the world, isn't it? It's whether I really accept Jesus as the Lord of my life, and if I do, then separation from the world will will follow, it will happen. What is the world? Let's, Let's consider that a little bit. Look at the words here in 14, 15, 16. Unbelievers, unrighteous, darkness, Belial, or Belial, I don't even know how to pronounce it properly, but it means, uh, it's a Hebrew borrowed word, means worthless one. Or another word for Satan. Infidel, also unbeliever. Idols. Basically, the world is the system that opposes Christ. That everything that stands in opposition to Christ, everything that he stands for, everything that he is, the world is opposite to that. That's the, that's the basic definition. And really, by extension, that means unregenerate man. Unregenerate man is, the, is, is where the kingdom of this world dwells. The, the man that does not want to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that doesn't accept the truth of the gospel, doesn't want to change, wants to do his own thing, that's, that's the, the system of this world. This gulf, this separation, it goes throughout all scripture. If you read in 1 John, there's a lot. Um, just pay attention to the words they versus the word us or we or ye. There's a separation in John. He says, they are of the world, therefore speak thee of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. There's this clear separation, and, and, and Scripture teaches that. We need to live that way. We need to live. Paul's calling out the Corinthians for not living that way. It's so interesting that one of the first things that he talks about here is a yoke. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And I think in today's day and age, everyone's seen those pictures. I mean, we haven't probably seen it in real life. But oxen or two animals that are yoked together, that are joined by a wooden double collar, basically, and they're working together. They're, They're plowing a field. That was the way, that was agricultural technology for the better part of thousands of years. That's how you break up tough ground and how you increase... The, the ability of a human being to, to do that work. You yoke animals together and they, and they plow that ground. They drag an implement behind them. Those animals, in order to work together, they have, they have to get along, right? There's no, I mean, you can't have two animals that are fighting each other or that are unequally matched, right? That's what unequal yoking means, is you got one animal that's much smaller or much weaker, it's not going to work. That, that other animal is going to be working overtime to compensate and, and, and that force is not going to be applied correctly and right. You need evenly matched animals that are going to, that are going to uh, plow that ground together. 
how can we be unequally yoked together with unbelievers? I think we have to look at what our goals are, what our intentions are, what our purposes are, what our pursuit, you know, this field that we're plowing. And I think the primary focus of this teaching is spiritual in the sense of, of what our spiritual endeavors are. We cannot be yoked with people that don't believe the truths that we believe. It will not pull in the same way. It will not align the same way. And actually, Jesus says, you know, the, the world, when it really comes down to it, the world is going to hate you. And if you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. So how can you even then be yoked in that same way? There, there's going to become some conflict. If your real spiritual intent and goal is to, to pursue God's will, to, 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 to do his, his, his work, and then you have someone alongside you in that endeavor and they don't love God, they don't love his word, it's not going to work. This scripture is most often applied to marriage, and I agree with, with that application. It's, it's, I mean, being on this side of marriage now, seeing there is a huge influence on, on each other. I cannot imagine being married to someone who does not uh, believe the word of God, believe what I believe. So yes, I think that's that is one of the, the, the clearest and, and, and uh, most straightforward applications here. Do not be yoked in marriage with someone who is an unbeliever. And don't be, my young person, young brother and sister, don't be uh, deceived into thinking, I'm attracted to this person, they're not a fully committed believer yet, I'm going to convert them. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get together and then we'll, we'll uh, uh, you know, I'll be a good influence on them. <laughs> That's not what this word says here. And that's not how it works. God is the one that does the converting. You need to follow God's word. You need to, to, to plow the, the ground that he has given you to plow and not uh, twist his word and not be, come under the influence of someone else that is not fully committed to the gospel. So this unequal yoking is with an intention and with a goal. I think it can also extend to something like business endeavors. Now, I'm not willing to say, I don't believe that, that it's, it's always wrong for a believer to enter into some sort of business agreement with, with an unbeliever. I, I think that's, uh, that would be extreme and, and probably a little bit too um, dogmatic. But I would think very carefully and, very, and, and think long before you enter into such an agreement, such a partnership with an unbeliever, someone who you know does not believe the word of God. Think about the possible ramifications could this business arrangement go in such a way that it could cause you to compromise your principles? Could it be a negative influence on you? You have to think these things out. Is it going to hinder your work in the gospel? If you have a feeling that that might be the case, don't enter into such a thing. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? I think of these words fellowship and communion here, and they're words that we often apply to the church. Fellowship, the, the common fellowship, the koinonia we have in, 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 in Christ, and communion. And this, again, it's another problem that the Corinthians had. Not separating, not dealing with sin in the church. And this was a, a problem, a, a reoccurring problem. You read in 1 Corinthians 5, 
where there was sin in the church and it wasn't being dealt with. And I think it probably was of the type of thinking, the Corinthian church as a whole had this type of thinking that, well, we're going to just extend grace, God forgives, the message of the gospel is forgiveness, we'll, we'll kind of just, you know, let him, that's true, but there needs to be a separation. That person that is in that sin needs to be separated so that that may be their chance to wake up and realize I am under the power of the world. I'm thinking in a worldly way. I'm trapped in some worldly uh, activities and worldly thoughts. There has to be separation. There can really be no true fellowship between those that love the Lord Jesus Christ and those that are ensnared in, in, uh, in worldliness, that are, that are trapped. There has to be. There can't be a fellowship. There can't be a communion. It, it's, it's, a, it's a fact that he's stating here, an obvious teaching. And that's something that they were called to do. It was painful. Um, I'm sure it, it was a, a trial for them, but it needed to be done. This is part of the separation between the world and the church, part of the witness of the world and the church. Now this second, the, the verse 16 here, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Sorry, verse 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Look at those words here, concord, part, agreement. Concord means, it means an accord, that you're, you're together. You, 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 um, you're holding things together. And here I think it's more of the, the way we think that if we um, are adopting things that are of this world, just ways of thinking that are of this world, then we become in concord, we become apart, we, we are in agreement. And that could be the world's means of self-promotion, the world's means of attracting attention, the world's means of... of, of preeminence of striving that's that's the what is of this world which is not part of Christ you see my brother and my sister we really should not have a hard time discerning what is of the world and what is of God we just need to look and and and, and see realize the difference between our own dead previous dead life and the new life we have in Christ and see what the difference between those two is. It should not be a difficult thing. The problem becomes when our affections, just like the Corinthian church here, they, our affections become straightened. We, we restrict ourselves. Our, we, we start liking a certain thing and, and, and we start muddying the difference between the two, the new life in Christ and what it entails, a humility, that, that grace, that, the, the sweetness, the caring for other people. And we go back to the self-promotion, the pride, the, 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 the pushing others down, the rudeness and, uh, and, and meanness. And then we start to agree, and then we start to, to look more like the world in terms of what we think and, and the way we act and what we say. And we begin to have agreement, we begin to have concord with them. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. I read this, I think of back to 1 Corinthians again, this, the issue that they had there in that church about eating meat offered to idols. And this was a, a point of contention where 
Paul first broaches the topic in 1 Corinthians 8 where he says, you know, the greater principle here is love. I don't want to do something that's going to cause my brother to offend. But then he comes back to the topic in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. He revisits and he gives them some practical guidelines. He, said, he says, okay, here's some, some guidelines for you. If you buy something in the marketplace, eat it. You know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's, it's uh, God, God had created that cattle regardless of whether he passed through a, a pagan uh, temple or not. But if you go to a feast with someone from this world, you're in this world, you go to someone's house, they invite you, and then they specifically tell you this meat was offered to idols. Don't, don't partake of it. And, and, and do that specifically for conscience sake. Maybe they hadn't accepted that simple, those simple guidelines. Maybe there were people that were still, I don't want to make a big deal. I don't want to make a big deal. I'll still, I'll go along with this. I don't want to be that different from other people. Still going to eat meat offered to idols. When Paul had given some clear and practical instructions and guidelines, and it was still, go back and read chapter 10. He has some strong words there about if you are partaking of the Lord's table, of the communion of the cup of the Lord, you cannot also partake of that of idols. And, and, and the smart person would say, well, it's just a physical thing. We're talking about spiritual things here. What that physical meat? But by crossing those lines, by pushing those boundaries, someone was actually getting in, in a spiritually darker place than, they, than they, they weren't dwelling in the light. And Paul has to come back to this topic here, you know, what, which had, what took up so much a part of that earlier letter about separation, about how the church is completely incompatible from the world. There are two different things. My new life in Christ has nothing to do with my former dead self that lived for myself. Now, separation as an end in itself would be a dull, dry, miserable thing. Just to be separate for the sake of being separate. I think of those saints in the three, quote-unquote saints, I don't know, I don't know too much about them, but those back in the 300s AD where they would sit on top of poles on a little platform for 20 or 30 years because that was how they thought they were going to get away from the world, separate from the world, and get closer to God. I'm not going to judge. I think the Lord knows the hearts of everyone. He will know, he will, um, we will all give an account to him. But the whole purpose of separation, the whole... Um, the whole reason and that drive, that impetus, is in response to a call to come out and to be my sons and my daughters. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. I will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters. It's separation because of relationship. It's because we, are, we don't want to have anything to do with that old anti-Christ world system because we're so in love with Christ. We want him so much. And we know that those two things are incompatible, those two that God is not uh, the author of sin. That's why we are called out. It is to, to live, to dwell with God. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It is a subtle thing, this, this worldly affections, being straightened or restricted in our affections that get misguided and, and off the beaten track. And I read this it seems to be a natural conclusion of that 
of this passage, the first verse of, of chapter 7, but there's something in here that's interesting that catches my attention. Let us, having therefore these promises, the, 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 he quotes the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, weaves them all together. So having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. To think, yeah, the filthiness of the flesh, I think, oftentimes we can identify, say that's, that's a fleshly desire, that's, we don't want to have anything to do with it. But filthiness of the spirit? That maybe hits a little closer to home. And that's a little bit harder sometimes to separate in terms of what is worldly within us where our affections are getting straightened. Think about the Pharisees. They were religious people. They were externally no flashy dressing, no... Um, um, wild lifestyles um, you wouldn't see them in the gambling hall they were they were not physically involved in in all that kind of stuff but but and Jesus really didn't have much to say about their their surface teachings I mean he, he told them he, he exposed the hypocrisy and the, and the and the fallacies of it the real condemnation was the heart the inwardness the the, the spiritual filthiness that he condemned, he had the harshest words for. And I have to think, yes, we can have that kind of worldliness here too, where everything is just on the surface right and we all look the right way and we may act or say the right things, but there can be striving, there can be jockeying, there can be hypocrisy, there can be um, not really caring the way we ought to care for each other. And that is equally uh, condemning in terms of, uh, of worldliness. The illustration I heard once is that the the church is like the church in the world are like the church is like a boat on the ocean. As soon as you get ocean in the boat, the function of the boat is compromised. It's not going to go well. Things are going. It's starting to sink. And that's the same way, too, that, that the church, the spiritual body of Christ, when we start letting these affections and these, these things creep in, this agreement, well, the, the world's way of doing it, that seems to make sense. Maybe it'll, it'll actually have an effect here. Maybe what we should adopt that way or do that, things that way. When we stop following the Spirit, like we read in Acts this morning and, and, and the, 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 the stunning incandescent examples of, of Spirit-filled believers, when we stop, when we don't follow that, don't strive for that path, and go the way of compromise and let's cut corners, then the, the water starts to come into the boat, the ocean starts to come into the boat. So separation from the world is on the basis of God's promises, on the basis of our, our, our love and our fear of, of God, as it entered here in, in chapter seven, verse one. Our, Trust in the Lord Almighty, this, this sovereign God, this omnipotent God who controls and sees all things. That is the basis. Well, the basis really, we read it, chapter 5 was reconciliation. Is that when we were of the world, when we were unregenerate, when we were completely apart from Christ, God made a way through Christ, reconciling us to himself. Now, coming out from among them. Brother, please find him. Um, something harsh.
or unloving. But it is the greatest form of love. Only when, when the church is spirit-filled, pure, and the church is the church as it ought to be in pages of Scripture, can it be effective in its mission to the world to call those that are lost, those that are dying, those that we love so dearly and so desperately. Where we start to look over the fence, as it were, and long for what they have or what looks good to us, that's when the witness diminishes. That's when, when compromise starts and, and the light is lost. So my brother and sister, this is not just a matter of your personal holiness. This is a matter of your witness to a dying and lost world. How much you love the Lord Jesus Christ and how much you have been changed by him. Be careful with your affections. I think that's what Paul was telling the Corinthians here. Be careful with your own bowels, the things that, that, that move you and, and, and uh, you are that you long after. The Christian, in closing, I'd like to just read the first couple of verses, Colossians 3. The Christian, his and her affections, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's the calling for us, is that... Yeah, it's so... It's so simple and so straightforward. You think, oh, it's so easy. I just have to think of... But that's the challenge. That's the temptation, the, 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 the fight that we're going to go through this coming week um, where we'll be bombarded with different messages, different things that will come our way. I have to set my affection, what I long for, what I desire, what makes me happy in the, the, the deepest sense, not that this sounds a little trite, on Christ on the one who is above, that's what's going to make me go this week, not on how am I going to get ahead in this world or, or, or promote myself. May the Lord help us to keep this word in our hearts, to hide it in our hearts. May he help us to, to focus on him. He will give us the grace and the strength and the power to live in a way that is so different, just like he did this morning as we, we read about Apostle Paul and his compatriots. What a different spiritual life. What an example. It made a life and death difference in, in those that he met. Uh, with that, we'll conclude the service. Commend you to God's grace.